<laughs> Paraphrased versions are really great. So we've been, in, uh, we've been in our series called Smashing Strongholds, and we've been talking about verses that literally smash strongholds. The first one was Genesis 50, 20. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. There's, you know, it's like a, a situation where you, you just, down in your soul, look at the circumstances and or those who would mean it for evil and say, you can't change me. You can't, you can't alter anything. You're not in charge. Even if you meant it for evil, God, will, God meant it for good. So I'm just not going to be a victim here. And uh, we stand on, that's kind of an Old Testament version of Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good of those who love God are called according to his purposes. And then last week we talked about the fact about how often we lose traction over one word. Why? Why? Why is this happening? Why me? Why this? Why now? Why, 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 why? We learned in Deuteronomy 29, 29 that the secret things belong to the Lord, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children for forever. So we talked about focusing on the things that we do get to know, and rather than focusing on the things that we don't get to know, God's going to answer every question we have eventually, and there'll be great answers. So today uh, we're going to be in uh, one of my favorite passages in Daniel chapter 3, but first let's pray. Lord, uh, as we get into your word today, I'm not looking to fill this room with words, and I'm not looking to fill time here with just a book report and information. And Lord, I'm asking that your spirit would bring this incredible verse down into our souls with force, Lord, upon our lives, that it would, would, it, that it would gain, gain strength in our soul. I pray, Lord, that in, in the name of Jesus, that... Um, this would be something that would not allow us to be the same when we leave as it was as we were when we came in. in the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Daniel chap- chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We're going to do a lot of scripture here today, so uh, we're going to run. Hope you brought your Bibles, and um, I encourage you to do that. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. This is idolatry. And this is in, in the, the nation of Babylon, which is for us modern-day Iraq, who's made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits. That's about 90 feet. And in fact, in their entire country, they wouldn't have had anything over three stories tall probably. So, you know, 30, 40 feet. So this is at least twice as high as anything. So when he rolls out this statue, it's 90 feet high. It's a pretty big deal. And its breadth, six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura. Now, in biblical language, Dura is a very, very common name. It's kind of like Springfield. There are 46 or 41 Springfields in the United States. There's 26 Salem. So if they say Springfield or Salem or you know, towns like that, you don't really know where it is. And so, so we're not really sure where it is, but it was somewhere in the province of Babylon, not, Babylon, not too far from modern, where modern-day Baghdad is in the province of Babylon. Verse 2, Then King Nebuchadnezzar set to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, all the mucky-mucks, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, this king's a tyrant. This was not a democracy. It's like, you know, if he decided one day that he didn't like something, these people are bothering me, kill them all, and that could happen there, and it did. So, um, you know, when the king invites you to one of his shindigs, let me ask you, optional, do you go or not go? You go. You go. Okay. So um, they're there, the people, and it's, it's, some people believe that this statue was a statue of Nebuchadnezzar himself. It was, in, at the very minimum, in his honor, 
because he's going to take things very, very personally here in a bit. So God reminds us that King Nebuchadnezzar is the guy who set it up. Verse 3, then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gather for the dedication of the image. I just wonder sometimes about people who have to have titles. Anyway, okay. <laughs> the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Who set this up? Okay, I guess the Lord's showing us who set this up. Verse 4, and the herald proclaimed aloud. This is another title. He's the herald. You are commanded, O people, nations, and language, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trig, and the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Okay, so picture this. You know, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And some big horn's going to sound... And then this declaration, now I've set up this other image, and when you hear this, this horn and all these, this particular band playing, there's, that's to remind you about the brand new God, and this is actually happening to these people, okay? Now, sometimes we read a passage like this, and, and I don't know if we always get a real sense for what this feels like, but what this would be like, but, you know, the president of the world shows up and tells you, hey, I, I realize we've got freedom of religion here and there's a lot of people who believe different things. However, that's the new God and when you hear these sounds, you better get on your knees and bow down and worship. Sounds like a wild, far-fetched... However, Scripture tells us it's going to happen in the last days. We're headed towards that day. And if you use that as a lens occasionally to read the world news you will see it coming closer and closer into focus as time passes. Okay, so look and see what happens here. Verse 6. And whoever does not fall down in worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the, ly the lyre, the trig, and the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the people's nations and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now we're going to see. We've, we've seen idolatry. Now we're going to see jealousy start to show up. Verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Let me give you some context here. Chaldeans is basically just another name for the people of the Babylonian region. And the armies of Babylon had, modern-day Iraq, had basically um, pointed themselves to the west and to the south and uh, gone into the land of Israel, and they had kind of pretty much sacked the, the land and, and conquered them and taken people captive. And they took a lot of slaves with them home to, um, to Babylon, and um, of the, all those slaves that they took, they, they picked somewhere between 100 and 1,000 of, of the choicest, is that a word? Of the choicest young men and women, and those they took directly to the palace itself. And um, so um, you, if you know the story of Daniel and interpreting the dreams, you, you know that, that God gave Daniel and his friends favor uh, with Nebuchadnezzar, and um, all of a sudden they're you know, transported to the equivalent of the White House, and they're not just there, they become so trusted that they, move, they blow right past being cabinet level, and all of a sudden they're in charge of things, and they're close confidants of, of Nebuchadnezzar. So we're going to see some jealousy. Verse 9, they declared, this is, these are the guys who are, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Verse 9, they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Good thing to say to a king, especially if he's a tyrant. And because like, tyrants like to hear that kind of stuff. And I, I, I heard one saying or read one saying in my studies about tyrants, refuse a tyrant and you get a tornado. 
refuse a tornado and you get a tsunami. Here's, here's how that translates. You know, maybe you already know what it's like to work with a tyrant, or maybe you think I'm living with a tyrant, or you know, a guy at work is a tyrant. You know, here's, here's how you know. Here's one of the ways you'll know if the person is a tyrant. If you ever resist them in any way, they go berserk. And when they go berserk, you need to smile right away. And if you don't smile and act like you mean it, then they go nuclear. They go completely. That's what a tyrant is. And, and we have one right here. Watch what happens. Verse 10. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the instruments shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall... Did you want me to read every one of those again? <laughs> I can go back if you want me to. Okay. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning fiery furnace. There, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs. You know, these outsiders... You hear what's going on here. I've pointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, his shack, my shack, and a bungalow. <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, Belshazzar, there's really actually scriptural names for them. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. They're telling on them. Verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, how's he going to handle this? Here it comes. In furious rage, so he puts this big old idol, record-setting huge statue of himself, and he's, now he's green with jealousy, and now he's turned into this red-faced tyrant. It's a picture of insanity, and he's in a furious rage. Commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Now, the king actually... I think I believe he actually loves these guys. He's kind of boxed himself into a corner. He, he already went through a lot to figure out that Daniel and his friends um, uh, worship. Their, their God is true. And so he knows that these are Daniel's friends. So Nebuchadnezzar has already declared, music, bow, or burn. Okay? And now he says, I think probably tenderly. He's, he's, he's kind of mixed up here, I think. Verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve any God, my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Verse 15, now if you're ready, you know, then we're going to give you another chance. Maybe you were on the treadmill and you had headphones in and you just didn't hear the band. So, um, but you, you know, it's just got to be, it's just got to be a big mistake. We, we can fix this. It's not that hard. We can walk this back and fix this right now. By the way, you, you already know I'm insane and you can smell the furnace, right? Okay, we're going to go over, we're going to try this, somebody, so, okay, play that music again. Get, get, the, get the band going. When you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, all the instruments to, to fall down and worship the image that I've made, well and good. But if you don't worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Now, this, this scenario building here as we're reading this is the reason why a lot of Bible scholars think that the statue was of him. Because he's basically saying, I'm the greatest. There's no God beside me. Nobody can stop me from doing this to you. So, you know, it's, he's taking this very, very perfectly. Now, we're going to see now this picture of integrity start to pop up as these guys go forward. So the king says, Bower burn, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, and they said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We don't even have to answer your questions. 
Now, if you're trying to get along with the king, that is a bad play, okay? So he's saying, let's start the music. There's no God who can stop me from destroying. And they say, yeah, 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 yeah. We don't really even have to answer that. <laughs> that is a seriously bold answer. And then what they say in verse 17, it's, they're building up here. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Wow. Such confidence, these guys. It's certainty. This is such settled faith. So how does he respond? Verse 19, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was, ch was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No more hoping they're going to get it right. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. Normally it's hot enough to burn people to death, okay? But now he wants it seven times hotter. Stoke that puppy up. Get some wood in there. Blow on it. It's probably some kind of a pit with a door on the top. They probably had a way to regulate the oxygen so they could get it plenty hot. Verse 20, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Now, uh, I had a conversation with uh, a, a brother in the Lord who doesn't attend our church. Um, I had a conversation with him last week about a Bible study that he'd been in in another church. And uh, um, the Bible study there, they were teaching that um, the first five books of the Bible were metaphorical. All those things in there weren't true. Stories like this are, are just not true. They're not supported in, 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 in a lot of different ways. And uh, so I thought I'd just take a minute and, and tell you what the world says about this. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar II was, is, is famous. There's a lot uh, of his material that's been dug up and, and found. Um, one of the things that he did when he was uh, king, he ordered that the country would build kilns that were a little bit unusual, and they fired up their bricks to be extra, extra hard, and for that they needed extra, extra heat. And uh, the, the thinking there was that if the, if the temples and if the buildings and if the walls were made out of stronger bricks, they would provide better protection against um, an enemy attack. And um, there's a picture. Now, this is not of a fiery furnace, but this is a picture of um, parts of Babylon um, where you can see the brick structure here. And uh, in fact, the bricks were, were so good that uh, a couple of things. First off, there is, there, is, there is at least one example of a brick that's now in, a British, in the British Museum in London, and it's got an inscription, and it talks about Nebuchadnezzar and so forth, and it's an ex example of the bricks. And, and then and, and you maybe had heard when, um, when all the stuff was going on back there uh, that, that Saddam Hussein was beginning to rebuild the city of Babylon. This is, of course, before... Um, he was he was killed in the war, and um, but he was rebuilding parts of Babylon and and having bricks cast with his name on them, and some of those are also in museums now too. But um, but these bricks that Nebuchadnezzar commissioned were of such quality that the city lasted for a long time, and when the city kind of did start dissolving, the bricks were of such quality that that forced the city. I mean, people pilfered those bricks to build other cities. And that's why a lot of the city is gone now is because the bricks have lasted and they lasted so long. Um, and in an early excavation of Babylon, in one of the buildings that they dug up, they felt, they believe it was a kiln, one of the kilns I've, we've just described. Um, um, there, was, there was this, unif this uh, cuneiform uh, inscription on it. This is the place of burning where men who blasphemed the gods of Chaldea died by fire. 
Another cuneiform um, inscription discovered at Nineveh, then this one was only discovered a little over 100 years ago, and this is also, this, this cuneiform um, um, commentary uh, is, is now in the British Museum. It says, Salmagina, my religious brother who made war with me, they threw into a burning, fiery furnace and destroyed his life. So I just took that rabbit trail because I wanted you to know there was um, some good um, contemporary evidence. Okay, verse 21. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments and were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, so the furnace, you know, he was heating it seven times. Heated up seven times. Uh, but I think that's too hot. Do it. I think it could blow up. Just do it. Now they got to get the lid off and open it up and throw the guys in. They need extra oven mitts, you know, so <laughs> this is pretty hot. The flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fire, burning, fiery furnace. So we've seen idolatry and jealousy and insanity and integrity, and now we see this intense fire. And uh, you know, we, we're going to see now our sovereign God working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Okay, so verse 24. The king, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. <laughs> I wonder what that looked like. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. <laughs> I wonder if it sounded like that. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Son of the gods. That's actually kind of an expected phrase of what Nebuchadnezzar would have said in a polyth polytheistic culture. He doesn't recognize what's going on here, but he knows something supernatural is happening. And there are basically two views here about what, what's going on with this fourth person um, in, in the body of Christ. One is that it was an angel sent by the Lord, Lord to protect these three friends. And, and some suggest that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ called a Christophany. And uh, I, I, I tend to hold that view. There are several other examples of Christophanies in the Old Testament. Um, here's just a couple of real quick ones. Ab Abraham in Genesis 18 sees this angel of the Lord. Joshua, um, Joshua chapter 5 talks about the captain of the Lord's army. The Bible teaches that Jesus has eternally existed as God, as the second person of the Trinity, in case you have any questions. John 1 says, in the beginning, in the beginning, this, which is, by, by the way, this is, this is the equivalent, the New Testament equivalent of Genesis 1-1, right? This is a one of the genealogies. Um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's a description of Christ. Uh, Colossians 1 describes Him as the Creator. Through Him, He created all things. So whatever is correct here, and I tend to believe this is a Christophany, a pre, pre, uh, an Old Testament appearance of Christ. Clearly, the support that heaven is giving these three boys in the uh, furnace has risen to the highest levels. Verse 26, Then Nebuchadnezzar came to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, El Elyon. Learn that word. El Elyon, Most High God. I have to tell you, half the time... You're leading me in worship. I got to say that. El Elyon, most high God. And so now Nebuchadnezzar is saying those words, most high God, come out and come here. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, 
they're so much more mature than me. I would have said, no, you come in here. <laughs> I don't know, probably not. But that's not what happens. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. Catch now how God delivers. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. I like a campfire smell. (laughs) Don't you like a campfire smell? I go out in a campfire, and Lisa says, you go take a shower, you smell like a campfire. This campfire smell good. So in this one single chapter, this one Bible chapter, we hit this. Look at these, look at the swings here. We got this big statue. Anybody who doesn't bow down to this statue of me, they're dead. Unless God delivers you. And in that case, if other people make fun of that God who delivered them, well, then we're gonna pull your arms and your legs off and burn down your house. Okay, so I mean that's where we're that's where we're headed here. So this is an incredible story. Now, I'm, 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 I'm going to read, I'm, I've got a couple of principles for you that we can pluck out of this, and then we'll get, the third one will be the game changer verse. So the first one is this. If your faith is real, your future is certain. Conflict. Conflict. These guys were real men of faith. They were not cultural Christians. They truly believed God, and for them, conflict was unavoidable. They, they weren't trying to be rude. They weren't trying to be difficult. They weren't trying to cause a problem. They'd even been promoted by their captors. They'd, they'd just been blessed. But at the end of the day, they were not going to deny the Lord, not for any reason. That matter was settled. And I think sometimes we find ourselves on a course where there are only two choices. You deny the Lord or... You deal with the fallout of not denying him. And, and that's, that's a, a choice that the true child of God really doesn't have to entertain. You know, I don't want the conflict. I don't want the hassle. I wish I could avoid this. But if the only option to avoid this is to deny the Lord, well, I, that's just not happening, so let's just, let's, just, let's just slap leather. Let's go. Jesus talked about this in Luke 26, 26. He said, woe to you when people speak well of you, for, their, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. There are several examples of this in the New Testament besides Jesus. Paul, in 2 Timothy 3, said, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Peter, in 1 Peter 4, said, make sure you're not suffering as an evildoer. So, you know, make sure it's not because you're obnoxious. You know, make sure you're being as gracious and as loving and as kind and as generous and and selfless as you can possibly be. But even then, sometimes it's impossible to avoid. Paul makes this comment in 2 Corinthians um, where he says, he basically talks about believers. He says, we're the fragrance of Christ to those who are being saved, but we are the aroma of death to the perishing. And people don't like smelling death. And our life reminds them that they have an accountability coming to God, and they don't like that. And some of you work in a situation where you suffer under this. Maybe some of you, even in your own family, where you suffer under this. And it's painful to find out your family would rather you know, not have you around than to have to smell the aroma of death, which all it requires to start up is your presence to remind them that there's this ultimate accountability 
for the choices that we make. And it's deeply painful to love God and then be rejected by the people you love because of your faith. And um, just if that happens, just make sure it's because of your faith and not because of unloving or obnoxious or un- unkind way that you've related to them. Jesus, Jesus uh, in one of his parables, he talked about the wheat and the tares in Matthew chapter 13. And basically, the genuine believers are the wheat and the um, false believers are the, are the tares or the weeds. And when persecution comes, when hardship shows up, that's when you find out which people are on the Jesus train only for what they can extract from it. You know, and the people, you also see who are the, who are the people that truly deeply love the Lord. And I know that sounds challenging, and it's okay for us to talk about this because, you know, have I got genuine faith? Have, is my faith a lasting faith? Would I stand for the Lord if the hardest of times come and I was put to the test? You know, what if somebody threatened me with physical harm if I continue to share people, share Christ with people? What if somebody told me to stop preaching God or I'd go to prison? And that's happening now around the world. And some of the things that go on in this room regularly on Sundays are illegal in other parts of the world. Think about that. But we shouldn't be afraid in those moments because the Lord has promised to give us strength and to do the right thing. Psalm 46 is one, uh, verses one to three. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. This is probably a song, and that is probably a word telling you to rest. If you're a musician, you know what a rest is. But I like to include it in the scripture, because I think there's times that the Lord says, hey, I got this covered, even though stuff's falling, rest in that. Isaiah 41 is another one. Fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When, when we're really under strain, what's really circulating in our heart? Is it, do you quit? Do you give up? Do you walk away? Do you say, okay, that's it? Or do you just lean into the Lord and, and, um, and, and just keep pressing ahead? So, okay, um, I've got one more principle before we get to the last one, um, and here's this. It's this. Yes, God is able, but God is not obligated. People have a lot of confusion about this. Just because God can doesn't mean that he should. Just because he can doesn't mean that he will. And this is where a lot of people's faith just goes right in the ditch. I mean... I want God to heal my wife. I want, I want God to get me a job. I want God to save my dad. I want God to bring my son back. I want God to keep us safe. And because if he can, he can. But if he doesn't, that's going to be a problem for me. And people are living their faith that way. They're bouncing along in life and until they really need God to do something. And then they kind of pin all of their faith to that point. God, this is it now. You know, either you answer this prayer, you do this thing, or none of it's true. And you'll find people who don't go to church anymore and don't follow the Lord anymore, don't believe what we believe anymore. And more often than not, you'll find a story back at the beginning just like this. Scripture tells us specifically not to put the Lord to this test, but many people do. You know, when Satan was tempting Jesus... Jesus looked him in the eye and said, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. 
God heals. God meets needs more than we can ever imagine. That's not the problem. The problem is allowing us to get ourselves to the place where either God does this or nothing that I believe is true. Notice how carefully these mature, godly men avoid that whole thing. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we got no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furious, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. We're going to go in the fire now. Whether God gets us out of the fire or he takes us through the fire into heaven, we're not going to be under you anymore. God's getting us out one way or the other. And then we get to our stronghold smasher verse, verse, verse 18. Did you notice before I skipped over it? If you have your Bible, you notice I skipped right past this. Okay, back up a little bit. and Let's take a running start. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, some translations say, but even if he doesn't, he's able, but even if he doesn't, that's it right there. That very verse changed my life. I mean, I don't live with this, you know, he's God if he does, but if he doesn't, we're going to have to rethink that. We're not rethinking anything. This is already settled. Even if he doesn't, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. There it is. If you can get this, if you can get this entrenched in your life, it's a game changer. It's just a game changer. We could say it like this. I'm not smarter than God. <laughs> for some people, that may not seem like a big, huge breakthrough. You probably got that figured out. But that's actually a stronghold for a lot of people. It is a big stronghold for a lot of people. Remember, the way we define strongholds as stubborn patterns of thinking, stubbornly resistant to God's word and God's will. That's a stronghold. And many, many, many people live their life as though God was just kind of an upgrade from them, right? Like, he's smarter than us for sure, but maybe like, again, like half again is smart. It's like, he doesn't always see everything though, so um, I'm not sure it's always best to leave things completely in his hands because I think I know what should happen here. And they're constantly acting like, well, yeah, God is the chairman of the board, but I'm a board member and I have a seat at the table, and so I have a lot of influence how things should go too. And they're constantly second-guessing God, you know, turning the dial up and down on faith. We want a child, God. You need to allow us to conceive a child now, or this is going to be a problem. You've got to give me the marriage partner that I dream of, and you need to do it now on time, or this is going to be a problem. Or you got to help me get forward in my career, God. And if you don't do this, because I'm so sure it's the right thing, if you don't do it, as though somehow God is always having to prove himself over and over again. This verse is all about the fact that I'm not smarter than God. I'm not second-guessing you know, what he allows. Sometimes it's really hard to accept it. But I'm not thinking. I could have done this better than God. You know I'm a nerd. And um, scientists tell us that in the skies, if you go out on a perfect dark night and have no clouds in your way and no buildings or trees on the horizon and you could see all the way around the world, there's only a little over 9,000 stars that are visible to the human naked eye, 6.5 magnitude or brighter. 
But since the earth is in the way of half of them at least, the most you could see under perfect conditions, if perfect vision, is about 4,500 stars. That's all that a human eye can do. There are more stars than that, did you know? Here's, here's how many more stars. Um, the actual measurements and calculations done by people that do these kinds of things. Um, there are a, a estimates of 10 trillion galaxies. And if you multiply that times the average number of stars in a galaxy, which is a lot, the number comes out to be a few septillion stars. Septillion, okay. Here's how that goes. It's a million, billion, trillion, which is how we measure our national debt right now, trillion, <laughs> quadrillion, quintillion, sextillion, septillion. That's one with 24 zeros. That's, that's a lot more than 4,500 stars. So just to kind of, that's such a huge number. It's hard for us even to understand that, but let me just kind of help you. Let's nerd, can we nerd out a little bit more? Um, how long ago, do you, so maybe some of you know, how long ago was a million seconds? 11 days. 11 sec, a million seconds, 11 days. A billion seconds, 32 years ago. So a, a billion seconds ago was 32 years ago. A trillion seconds ago was 32,000 years ago. Now, that's just a trillion here, but we're talking about septillion. Um, one of the stars in our... It's just an ordinary star in our, in our galaxy called Eta Carinae. The scientists say is five million times brighter than the, the, the sun that we have. You better have some sunscreen <laughs> for that one. And the Bible says that God spoke and the worlds were formed. Stars, B, boom, <laughs> baby. I mean, I like a good set of fireworks. Imagine that. Imagine that moment. By the way, he didn't say, start forming, and in about 3 billion or 14 billion years, then we'll have, that is not what he said. It says, <laughs> okay, I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail. God, this God who did this is not just a little bit smarter than us. There are no words to describe how much smarter he is than us. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Put a stake in the ground, build a monument of rocks. Loved ones, get to the place where what you believe, who you trust, how you're going to live is 100% settled. God's not proving himself to us anymore. Nothing's up for review. Sometimes, you know, I don't understand, but I always conclude the same thing. I'm not wrestling with this. I'm not going to reconsider anything. Nothing is up for review now, ever. Deuteronomy 30, Moses said this, I've set before you life and death, cursing, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Joshua said it like this. In chapter 24, choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And life takes on such different proportions when these issues are settled. I mean, I can't do that. I, I've, I've already decided that, that I'm about this. I'm not going to do that. Can't go there, can't say that, can't think like that. I'm not smarter than God. If it doesn't make sense, I don't see clearly. 
if it's taking too long, there's got to be a reason. Whatever the problem, it's me, not God. <laughs> God's got nothing to prove. I think some of us would say, well, Terry, nothing to prove. How can you say that? Well, I, I, my, my position, he's already proved it all. He solved an unsolvable problem. And he did it himself at the cross. And he offered it freely to me. <laughs> and I'm going to live forever with him because of the gift. That matter is settled. It's settled. And I encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, settle that. Settle eternity. You can't work your way there. You just have to settle that the King of Kings had a plan and he had a way. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by, 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 Jesus, but by me, Jesus said. And um, all who call on the name of Christ will be saved. That is how you secure your eternity. It's not by going to church. It's not by giving money. It's not by doing those things. You cannot do works. Any of them are none, none of them are good enough except the work of Christ. Say, yes, I open my heart to the king. That's how you settle your eternity. You accept him as Lord and Savior. You accept the gift he gave. If you've never done that, do that in your soul and tell somebody about it today. Hey, what that guy was talking about, I know it's true. I'm going to somehow figure out how to make Jesus my king. Just do that. It's not about a ceremony of walking in the front of a church. It's what you decide and what you accept. Do it. And um, don't wait. No one knows what tomorrow may hold for you. So 1 Kings 18, Elijah, this is Elijah was great prophet. He said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. So here's our verse. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, even if he doesn't, that we do not, that we do not serve your gods nor will we worship of the golden image which you have set up. I'm not smarter than God. <laughs> All of you who know me know that's true. <laughs> okay. We're about done. Uh, one more quick list. list. Um, this might pinch a bit. Okay? You might think you're smarter than God if. Five quick hits and then we go. I shouldn't say it like that. Not quite quick hits. <laughs> you might think you're smarter than God if you refuse adversity. I'm not going through with that. I'm not doing that. We don't always get to choose. Do you remember the phrase, oh, if this cup could pass from me, me, nevertheless, not my will, Father, but yours be done. We don't always get to choose. Okay, you might think you're smarter than God if, two, you take vengeance yourself. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay in Deuteronomy 3. If you're, if you're always trying to get even, if you're, if you're withholding yourself from someone who has hurt you if, you, if you are punishing someone who's hurt you, if, you, if you're saying harsh things to someone who's hurt you, you, you think you're smarter than God. Okay, you might think you're smarter than God if, if three, you don't fear consequences. You know, remember the distinction. The penalty for our sin was paid by Christ. The penalty for sin was paid by Christ. But the consequences for our sin... Galatians 6 says, says this, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you, you plant, you reap. Whatever you put in the ground, you know, you're going to harvest that same thing too. Some people live life however they want and then they pray for crop failure. <laughs> it's not going to happen. We reap what we sow and it doesn't, this doesn't always apply just only to negative things. 2 Corinthians 9 says, sow bountifully and you will reap bountifully. Okay, um, you might, be, might think you're smarter than God if, number four, you're indifferent to, to injustice. 
indifferent to injustice. Everywhere that we see injustice, it, it should rile us. I mean, in some instances, it should rile us to the point of action. And I'm not talking about when you get cut off in the turn lane. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about um, when you see racial prejudice, when you see economic prejudice, prejudice, preju yeah, I'm running out of prejudices in my, okay, when you, when you see those real kinds of things going on, that should rile you. And some of those things should cause you to rise to a place of action. Because our God is a God of justice. And his children need to be about the things he's about. I'm not going to tell you what that means. I'm just going to tell you that if you are indifferent to injustice, that's a sign that you think you're smarter than God. And then number five, um, you might think you're smarter than God if you ex expect God to prove himself. We've already covered that pretty well, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to end here now. He has already proven himself, um, his son at the cross. And he doesn't have to prove anything to me anymore. You got to make up your mind. No matter what happens, God is God and I'm not. He's got nothing to prove to me. I'm not smarter than God. Whether I see it now or down the road, he's smarter than me. So what's not on the table is I will not allow myself to think that I know better than God. And that smashes strongholds. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the fact that we can learn this example by reading and we don't have to walk anywhere near that furnace. Thank you for that, God. Nevertheless, Lord, let our hearts come to a place of resolute faith and trust in you.